Welcome to The Thing About Austin, a podcast about Jane Austen's world. I'm Zan. And I'm Diane. And this episode, we're talking about the Irish car party. We are taking a look at Emma for this episode, specifically the scene at Box Hill, which this is actually the appropriate time of year to be discussing Box Hill. We love it when we can be seasonally appropriate. Exactly. So at this point in the novel, Emma has insulted Miss Bates. Frank has asked Emma to find him a wife in front of Jane Fairfax. (laughs) And in general, the vibes are not great. The Eltons have already left the larger party, and Jane now proposes to do the same. So here is the text. Now, ma'am, said Jane to her aunt, shall we join Mrs. Elton? If you please, my dear, with all my heart, I am quite ready. I was ready to have gone with her, but this will do just as well. We shall soon overtake her. There she is. Nope, that's somebody else. That's one of the ladies in the Irish car party. Not at all like her. Well, I declare. So she's kind of stumbling and misunderstands who, who's on the hill with them. Miss Bates is referring to a party of individuals also touring Box Hill who are riding in what she describes as an Irish car. So obviously our first order of business is to define what she is referring to. There is some ambiguity in this reference, so we're going to discuss the two different types of Irish car before we talk about how that applies to the events in the novel. So our first definition of Irish car comes from the Domestic Encyclopedia, published in 1803, and it says, In Ireland, the most common vehicle at present is the one-horse car with low wheels beneath the body of the machine. The encyclopedia includes an illustration of, of the Irish car, and if I were to describe it, I would say it is almost like a square wheelbarrow with two wheels underneath, and the handlebars are where you would put the horse in harness and then lead it. It's fairly small, very basic. Is there anything you would add to that description, Diane? I mean, it really just, it sort of looks like a very large wooden box, like an open, large wooden box, almost like a crate Mm -hmm. on wheels, essentially. And it's very low to the ground, yeah. Very low to the ground, yeah. I think a square wheelbarrow is just about right, if you're looking for a description. So this cart was designed for agricultural use, and the domestic encyclopedia goes on to explain that, quote, the advantage of this vehicle consists in the facility with which it is laden on account of its lowness, and when gateways and roads are narrow, much room is gained by the wheels being fixed under the body of the cart. So this is something that's easy to load with things in and out, and the encyclopedia specifically mentions manure as a fertilizer that this cart would be used to transport. And it fits through narrow lanes and gates, which makes sense if you've seen the gaps and stone walls and the narrow lanes in Ireland that people would have been trying to navigate. I mean, if you've ever been on any type of farm or rural area where, you know, it's a lot of little pathways and things cutting through fields, that sort of thing. Yeah. And another advantage to this Irish car, as described by the same encyclopedia, is that it has really wide wheels. So the surface of the wheel that is touching the ground is wide. Or the encyclopedia actually describes it as cylindrical, 
So this is an advantage since a person, quote, may be enabled in almost all seasons to drive his broad-wheeled carts and etc. on his meadow or plowed ground when no narrow wheel can be employed. It's like the mountain bike of little carts. An all-terrain little cart. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's got the big, thick tires. So again, this makes sense as an Irish innovation since it rains perpetually and you need to be able to use a cart in really muddy conditions. Narrow wheels are going to be getting stuck and creating all kinds of issues when you're trying to move around. Yeah. Especially if you've got like a load. So this is our first definition of an Irish car. It is literally the encyclopedic definition from the era. However, it is very unlikely that this is what Miss Bates is referring to in Emma, since it doesn't really make sense in the setting of people sightseeing at Box Hill. It is most likely that Miss Bates is referring to an Irish jaunting car. This is, again, a light two-wheeled carriage for a single horse, but unlike the Irish car defined previously, the jaunting car is meant for passengers and was considered a pleasure vehicle. So you're going for a jaunt in this thing. Yes. The name says it all. All right. I love the name. Like, no, oh, it's, just, it's just for jaunting, right? That's what we're going to do in this car. Gives a very, very lovely kind of picture in your mind. There is a bit of obscurity about when jaunting cars were invented, or at least around when the term started to be in use. For example... The OED entry for jaunting cars lists an 1805 reference in William Felton's book, A Treatise on Carriages, as the first mention of this carriage. However, Mariah Edgeworth, an author that Austin admired, wrote an entire scene involving a jaunting car in her novel Castle Rackrent, which was published in 1800. And I did a bit more digging and I found a reference to a jaunting car as early as 1789 in the July edition of Walker's Hibernian Magazine, or Compendium of Entertaining Knowledge, which I will now be subscribing to. <laughs> yeah, same. I would very much like that magazine. I also found in an 1832 edition of the Dublin Penny Journal an unsighted extract from 1764 that described jaunting cars. So basically what this kind of like deep dive tells us is that jaunting cars were around in Ireland several decades before Austin wrote Emma. There are also a few different types of jaunting cars. The two most common are the inside and the outside jaunting car. The inside jaunting car has a small seat at the front of the vehicle for the driver, who would also be called a jarvie. The car would have two benches that run parallel to the road, as opposed to back and front facing seats. Traditionally, this would hold four passengers seated, two on each side, and they would be facing each other, but you could squeeze in more if you needed to. The inside jaunting car was also called the Irish vis-a-vis, -vis, since you were directly facing the other passengers in relatively close proximity. According to Halls Ireland, Mr. and Mrs. Hall's tour of 1840, the inside jaunting car is not often to be hired. It is usually private property and is perhaps the most comfortable as well as the elegant of the vehicles of the country. So in their opinion, this vehicle is a little bit fancier and it's one that it's not the one that's going to be rented out to go 
do tourism. It's more of it's more of a private vehicle. The inside jaunting car is kind of the posh Irish carriage. The outside jaunting car also has the small single seat for the Jarvi, but the passengers are situated facing outward. Here's a description from Halls, Ireland. The outside jaunting car is that to which a special reference is made when speaking of the Irish car. It is exceedingly light, presses very little upon the horse, and is safe as well as convenient. It is always driven with a single horse. The driver occupies the front seat, and the travelers sit back to back, the space between occupied by the well, which is a sort of boot for luggage. But when there is only one passenger, the driver usually places himself on the opposite seat to balance the car. Yeah, yeah. So it's all about that balance. But yeah, it's the outward facing nature of this. That's, that's where it gets its name. Yeah. So like you're back to back, essentially. Yeah. And you're facing like the landscape, which is why this makes a lot of sense as a pleasure vehicle. And we'll definitely have pictures of this on our social media for people who are trying to visualize what this looks yes. like. This is a very visual thing that we're, that we're describing here for sure. I also wanted to point out that this passage specifically calls these Irish cars as a sort of shorthand for Irish jaunting car. It is the carriage that's most commonly used for for tourists in Ireland at this period. Um, like the moment you get off of the ferry from Wales in in, in Dublin, you're going to be seeing these cars. It was actually so obvious in the in the tourist department. It was actually called the tourist trap as a kind of play on trap as another kind of vehicle from this era. But I would also like to mention that jaunting cars are still a very touristy thing in Ireland. They're more frequently the inside car rather than the outside car, but they're very, very popular still in places like Killarney in County Kerry. I definitely rode a jaunting car when I was at Mudcrest House, for example. The outside jaunting car was considered the ideal tourist vehicle since passengers were facing outward and ostensibly able to take in the views. In his book, Angler in Ireland, or An Englishman's Ramble Through Connaught and Munster, during the summer of 1833, William Bilton describes his preference for this mode of transportation. And he says, An Irish car, especially an outside one, if only it be tolerably well-made and have the necessary accompaniments of a good horse and driver, is the pleasantest and most independent mode of traveling possible. You can see the country perfectly, can jump off and on without stopping the vehicle, and can chat at your ease with the driver from whom you may almost always depend upon gleaning information and amusement. These cars are to be had everywhere through Ireland, the price varying from sixpence to tenpence per mile, but eightpence is the usual charge. I just love this idea of the driver sort of like, you know, your modern day tour bus operator making little pithy comments about what you're seeing as you go by. Yes. Yeah, he's he's giving the play by play on like, well, over there you'll see so-and-so's whatever. And <laughs> just And I can see how being able to easily get on and off the car, as well as the outward facing views, would make this a really popular touring car. It makes a lot of sense. And while William Bilton was a big fan, which, you know, his recommendation is pretty strong above, apparently the downside of this kind of open vehicle was that you also had to hang on a little bit. Like, you you know, you're not in an enclosed space. So you have to like, if you hit a rut, you have to kind of hang on to those sides so that you don't just like bounce off. But 
it was and still remains a, a kind of vehicle that you can that you can see and, and enjoy in Ireland. Now that we've defined the Irish car, we have just a few more cultural notes before we tie this back into Austin's novel. In 1807, and again in 1813, the British Parliament levied specific taxes on pleasure vehicles in Ireland, and the jaunting car is specifically mentioned. The 1807 bill reads, Sum of four, and upon every car made use of, and fitted up for carrying persons commonly known by the name of a jaunting car or pleasure car, and for and upon every carriage or vehicle made use of as a jaunting car or pleasure car, by whatever name, such carriage or vehicle may be called the yearly sum of one pound, one shilling, zero pence. And they are very serious about like, the, like this is the jaunting car. We're going to define it in every possible way and you're going to pay this. And just a few years later, in the 1813 bill, it uses very similar verbiage, again, specifically describing the jaunting car almost exactly like it was above. But this time, the taxes are significantly higher. So again, this is from the 1813 bill. If kept by any person not keeping any other carriage liable to the duty under this act, the annual sum of three pounds, three shillings, zero pence. If any such jaunting car shall be kept by any person keeping any other carriage liable to the duty under this act, then the annual sum of six pounds, ten shillings, zero pence. That is a very steep increase. And as a result, lots of people decided to sell off their jaunting carts. This also closely coincides with low prices for horses after the Revolutionary Napoleonic Wars. So in 1815, the same year Emma was published, as it happens, an Italian immigrant to Ireland named Carlo Bianconi, he also went by Charles, sees an opportunity to set up a kind of transit service, which wasn't really established in Ireland at this point. So in 1815, he starts his first service, a one-horse, two-wheeled car, to carry passengers, goods, and the mail on the eight-mile Clonmere to Cahir route in County Tipperary, and it becomes a wildly successful system. That really revolutionized trade and transit in rural Ireland for most of the 19th century. According to the Oxford Companion to Irish History, quote, by the 1840s, his cars, affectionately known as Beans, were working daily over 3,000 miles of road. His larger cars, known as Finn McCool's and Massey Dawson's, the latter after a popular landlord, could carry up to 20 passengers. This veritable transport revolution made most of rural Ireland more readily accessible, greatly furthered trade, and reduced the price of many goods. Many beans were to continue on Irish roads until their replacement by railways and later motor buses. The idea of a 20-passenger outside car. You just feel like you have to like hang on to each other, like you need to link arms. Yes, so you link just... arms and be like, we're here for the ride. Yeah, and then they're just loading it totally full of, you know, goods and mail and everything. But it really was the jaunting car that kind of transformed into this important part of, of transit for Irish citizens in the 19th century. So let's bring this all back to Austin's novel and how this fits into the context of Emma. 
We now know that jaunting cars were a distinctly Irish pleasure carriage, so they predominantly stayed in Ireland. However, there are references to Irish cars being used in England in this time period as well. Dorothy Wordsworth, for example, described traveling in an Irish jaunting car when she, along with her brother and Coleridge, toured in Scotland in 1803. We have other examples of Irish jaunting cars in artwork from this era, such as Edwin W. Cooper of Beckles' painting titled A Gentleman Driving Tandem to a Jaunting Car from Around 1820. So it's very likely that the Irish car that Miss Bates refers to in this scene is an Irish jaunting car. And it makes sense that an Irish jaunting car would be in a place like Box Hill, which was a very popular tourist destination. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And whether that was an inside or an outside jaunting car, I mean, it's it's pretty clear to me the jaunting car makes sense here as a reference. One of the things I appreciate about this reference to the Irish car party in Emma is that it kind of roots the scene in a certain kind of reality. It's a reminder that Box Hill, like you said, is really popular as a tourist destination. The jaunting car is a very touristy car. It's meant for people to be able to watch the scenery and what's happening around them. And so the reference tells me Box Hill is popular enough that there are other tourists in their jaunting car on the hill with the group from Highbury. All of the awkward chaos that's happening in the novel is not isolated to the single group of people. There are other people on the hill with them. They don't have the entire place to themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, while there are these two different types of Irish car, the way that Miss Bates refers to an Irish car party, you know, she's describing a group of people who are all out together. She says like, oh, one of the ladies in the Irish car party. So this is like a group that they had seen earlier. And she's recognizing this one woman from that group, from that group, like that they were out in this jaunting car together. It doesn't really make sense that you would have a large group of people touring Box Hill in what is essentially a wheelbarrow, you know? Right. <laughs> so it's probably not that type of Irish yeah. car. It's probably like we've been saying, it's probably this jaunting car specifically. Yeah. And we feel like we need to clarify just because if you Google Irish car. Yeah. If you do like a Google image search, you might come up with the other one and be like, oh, that doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem like anybody would fit in there. But yeah, because there are those two different types of Irish car. So when Miss Bates thinks she spots Mrs. Elton, and then she realizes it's this complete stranger from the Irish car party, you just have to imagine the kind of vulnerability for her in that moment. There are all these other strangers around. You know, she's just been insulted by a longtime family friend. She's not really at her best. She's kind of flustered. She's embarrassed. And they're in a very public place. It's not like this happened at Donwell Abbey when it was yes. just their own party. Yeah. And and so I think having someone else there, even if they're in the distance, you know, she has to keep it together. And I know that when I get flustered in a situation like that, I don't always think straight. And I think the whole world must have just seen or heard the thing that I'm embarrassed about. So to me, it makes sense that Miss Bates would have this moment where she's like, there's Mrs. Elton. Nope, never mind. Just someone, some complete stranger who just, you know, happened to be around witnessing this mortifying moment for me. Lovely. You know, so whether they saw or heard anything, I could see how that would add to Miss Bates' kind of fluster or embarrassment in the moment. So I think we also have to point out that Irish and Ireland are always loaded references in Emma. And it's all wrapped up in Mr. Dixon, remember him, who owns an estate in Ireland 
and who married Jane's best friend. And Emma has created an entire fictional romance between Jane and Mr. Dixon. Yeah. So whenever we hear Ireland or Irish, we have to kind of like perk up a little bit. And this reference is obviously coming from Miss Bates, who has no idea that Emma has created this entire subplot. But I don't think Austen would put in an Irish reference casually in this book, especially when she could have written in the jaunting car party. The alternative name exists, and it's arguably even more common than Irish car. And yet Austen has Miss Bates reference Ireland. And leave it to Miss Bates, honestly, to talk enough to fill in a setting or background or even subplot that no one else has been paying attention to. She does that throughout the novel. Not that she's aware that she's doing that, but the fact that they've put that, that, that Austin puts this in Miss Bates' mouth in a climactic moment, I don't think that that's just by happenstance. I think it works as part of the whole Emma as mystery and, you know, reading for those little clues. Yeah. The scene at Box Hill is when pretty much everyone's illusions are ruptured. Emma realizes how awful she's been, not only to Miss Bates, but also with her tired flirtation with Frank. And it really is tired in the mm-hmm, scene. It's just mm-hmm. anybody who's having to watch is just like, really, what are we doing? Even Emma and Frank are like, we're forcing this. Yeah, like this is the worst flirtation ever. Jane is obviously also very tired of that flirtation and immediately after this decides to take a post as a governess. Mr. Knightley chides Emma for acting callously, later pointing out that he also thought this was because of Frank's influence. I mean, nobody's happy to be here. No, no. Mrs. Elton is, of course, feeling like, how dare anybody make Emma the center of attention, you know? So in this precise moment, when Miss Bates gets up to leave and mentions the Irish car party, Emma already realizes she's way out of line. Yeah. That she's been really careless about the way she treats the people around her. And this Irish reference in this moment, you know, might also be there as a reminder to Emma that she's been really off base with her jokes about Jane Fairfax as well. Yeah. Yeah. Just a reminder, like, oh, I've been off base. I have been making all of these jokes at somebody else's expense. And she's just like just days before she's seen Jane Fairfax truly distressed. And so this Irish moment, like this Irish reference is kind of like Emma being like, ooh, I'm also I'm also wrong there. I think it also just serves as a another little clue to the reader. Right. We've just as a reader, you've seen Emma behave horribly. And then you hear Miss Bates reference Ireland. and You're kind of like, hmm, might Emma also be wrong about that as well? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Things are crumbling down. Maybe that Irish reference <laughs> is kind of pointing to that as well. <laughs> well, in terms of adaptation, the Irish car party doesn't show up in any of them, which isn't really surprising at all. But I would love to see it in a future adaptation, purely because I think adaptations, we have a tendency to make Box Hill events seem really private, like like we kind of already talked about. They seem like they're having this incredibly awful, awful and awkward day, but it's in isolation that it's just their group that's having this event. But that's not what's happening. They're all really grumpy, overheated, behaving poorly, while they also have to kind of maintain this veneer of polite society and they're going to maintain appearances because there's other pleasure seekers and tourists on that hill. And I think that really ups the stakes for what happens at Box Hill. They can't display their disgruntlement. Obviously, they all have to get in their own carriages and everything later, but like they can't just blow up. Yeah, they have to kind of still act as though everything's fine. So yeah, I just I love that that kind of ups the reality and the stakes of everything that's happening. Well, if you have ever ridden in one of these Irish jaunting cars or been to Box Hill, we would love to hear from you. 
You can find us on Instagram at the thing about Austin and on Twitter at Austin underscore things. You can also check out our website, thethingaboutaustin.com, and email us at thethingaboutaustin at gmail.com. Stay tuned for next episode, where we will be talking about Kramer with our guest, Dr. Carolee Hunter. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.